This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... But even before the war in Ukraine, the food price were at a 10-year high earlier this year. Fuel was at a seven-year high. We were already talking about inflation. That's Arif Hussein, the chief economist for the World Food Program, talking about rising food insecurity. Details coming up. Also, Ethiopia is selling electricity generated by the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. Tunisia faces an economic crisis, and retired Pope Benedict's health is failing. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. Ethiopia's $4.2 billion Grand Renaissance Dam, GERD, is nearly finished. It is built on the Blue Nile, the river's main tributary, that accounts for more than 85% of the water reaching Egypt. Egypt and Sudan, however, say Ethiopia should enter a legally binding agreement on the operation of the dam and on mechanisms for dealing with persistent drought. Both countries rely on the Nile for the bulk of their water supplies. Several years ago, Egypt's President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi asked the U.S. to help persuade Addis Ababa to agree on a deal, but talks made little progress. John Makum Mbaku, a non-resident fellow at Brookings and a professor of economics at Weber State University, has researched and written extensively about the dam. He tells me that the GERD has already started generating electricity. The mega hydropower plant, according to the professor, will provide critical electricity to both Ethiopia and the wider region. Ethiopian Prime Minister Zenawi announced that uh, the country would construct a dam on the Blue Nile about 40 kilometers from the Sudan-Ethiopian border in uh, April 2011. And immediately after that announcement, Egypt, and to a certain extent Sudan, began to argue against the construction of that dam. Egypt made more noise than Sudan. And Egypt actually started going around the world, making sure that if uh, Ethiopia was going to construct the dam, it would not be able to do so with international financial assistance. So that was the beginning of the headache for Ethiopia. Now we are on the third feeling, and the turbines are moving, and electricity is being generated. So let's start from there. And so, yes, you are right. The dam is now generating electricity about, uh, it was estimated that it will produce about 750 megawatts of electricity. And when it is fully uh, functional, it will generate up to 6,000 megawatts of electricity. Yes, Ethiopia is now in a position to sell electricity to its neighbors. As far as the GERD is concerned, what are the benefits? for the neighborhood uh, countries. You can look at the GERD from two perspectives, benefits for, for Ethiopia, which we can discuss later, and benefits for neighboring countries. Uh, neighboring countries can buy clean 
electric power from Ethiopia. The dam will generate up to 6,000 megawatts of electricity when it is fully operational. Ethiopia cannot use all that electricity, so it will be able to export that electricity to neighboring countries like uh, in Sudan, Kenya, Somalia, and all the other countries in the Nile Basin. That is clean energy. That is energy that will be very affordable. Ethiopia has already indicated that it is going to sell the electricity at very affordable rate. So the only thing that these countries will need to have to do will be to provide the cables and the infrastructure within which they can, uh, Ethiopia can export the electricity to them. So that is going to be a very big benefit, relatively low-price electricity, which would allow all these countries to electrify to find the rural area. Uh, in addition to that, the girl would also be able to help Sudan minimize flooding and the damages that flooding has done to Sudan during the uh, previous season. So that is a very good, uh, a very significant benefit to the Sudanese. Besides neighboring countries, what specifically does this dam benefit Ethiopia? Well, uh, number one, it's a unifying uh, entity for, for, you know, Ethiopia has had a lot of problems in the past with uh, uh, divisions within the country. This dam is considered a national pride is like Ethiopian Airlines, which uh, brings all Ethiopians together. It's something that Ethiopians abroad uh, and Ethiopians within Ethiopia can look to as something that belongs to them, not just to any one group in Ethiopia. So that's one of the benefits. But in terms of economic benefits, there, there's uh, quite a lot. Ethiopia can now extend uh, industries to the rural areas, especially uh, value added to agriculture. You can have light manufacturing in the rural areas, which was not possible up until now because of the lack of energy. Think of education, improve student learning. You know that uh, Ethiopia gets very hot during the summer, uh, the summer month, and it's very difficult for children to learn. Now, if you have air-conditioned classrooms, you're going to improve learning outcomes for children. Not only that, children can now, uh, schools can now stay open longer because children can do their homework at night uh, with electricity. Then you have internet. Internet can now go into the rural area very easily because you have electricity, something that you hadn't had in the past. Uh, and with, with internet going into the rural areas, you'll be bringing government and the global economy closer to the people who live in the rural areas. That was non-resident fellow at Brookings and professor of economics at Weber State University, John Makum Mbaku. He spoke to me from the U.S. state of Utah. In the latest on the electricity purchase front, Ethiopia has become Kenya's second biggest source of hydropower under a deal signed by Kenya Power to buy 600 megawatts. This follows a 27-year power purchase agreement signed last November that will run till 2047 as Kenya turns towards cheaper sources of electricity. Kenya will pay Ethiopia 6.5 U.S. cents per kilowatt for the next five years. 
There were tears and prayers today among passengers waiting to board a flight from Addis Ababa to Makale, the capital of the Tigray region. The first flight between the two cities in two years was to take off today. Air traffic, highways and telecommunications into Tigray have been cut off since a conflict erupted between Ethiopia's federal government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, TPLF. Thousands of people were trapped far from home by the fighting, and Tigrians had no way to communicate with their families. Kasai Hailu sobs and smiles as she waits for her flight. She says she has lived in Addis Ababa, separated from her husband and child. She had come to the national capital to help her daughter prepare for school examinations and was not able to go home. She says she is extremely happy and she prays peace will be sustained. When there is peace, she says, there is everything. The two opposing sides signed a peace agreement last month, which includes the restoration of services to Tigray. The resumption of Ethiopian Airlines flights today is the latest step in that process. The United Nations says high food prices in 2022 led to a crisis of affordability that has pushed millions more people into hunger. VOA UN correspondent Margaret Bashir talks to experts about the situation and what to expect in 2023. 349 million. That's the number of people on the planet who don't know where they'll get their next meal, according to the UN's World Food Program. And the number is growing. The agency says by the end of this year, it will have fed a record 150 million of the most vulnerable. Experts say a combination of factors is driving food insecurity. The COVID-19 pandemic, conflicts, climate shocks, including historic floods and droughts, energy prices, and Russia's February 24th invasion of Ukraine. Arif Hussein is the chief economist for the World Food Program. But even before the war in Ukraine, the food price were at a 10-year high earlier this year. Fuel was at a seven-year high. We were already talking about inflation. So when this war came on Ukraine, it magnified everything in part because Ukraine and Russia are breadbaskets for dozens of countries. Will Martin is a senior research fellow at the Washington-based International Food Policy Research Institute. Ukraine and Russia are important players in production, world wheat production. Their market shares are about 4 and 8 percent, um, and a much bigger share um, in world exports. So... If you don't have freely flowing grain from the Black Sea Basin, um, then you're going to have uh, very big problems uh, outside. The war also drove energy prices up on fears of supply disruptions and sanctions on Russia's oil and gas exports. Fertilizer prices are up 250 percent from 2019, according to the U.N., Half of global food production relies on fertilizer, and small farmers who cannot afford enough have seen their harvests decline. Again, Arif Hussein, the WFP's chief economist. Right now, with all that is happening, we are looking at essentially a shortfall of about 66 million tons 
of staple foods because of shortage of or, or unaffordability of fertilizer. I'm talking about crops like uh, wheat, corn, uh, rice. Now, that 66 million tons of food, that is enough to feed 3.6 billion people for one month. Looking ahead to 2023, food security experts are watching fertilizer availability and weather. Maximo Torero is the chief economist for the UN Food and Agriculture Organization. In the case of wheat and corn, it will depend a lot on what happens with the weather. Argentina, for example, right now has some issues of, of weather which could be affecting the harvest, and that's something that we are observing very closely. The same could be happening in the U.S. The uninterrupted flow of grain and fertilizer from Russia and Ukraine under the Black Sea grain deal will remain critical to global food security. Rice is the primary staple food for half the planet, and experts are closely watching production. FAO's Maximo Torero. In case of rice, we are already observing a reduction in the supply because of lower planting. But rice, luckily, we have a lot of stocks because the previous years were pretty good. Economists say the strong U.S. dollar is increasing monetary pressures on dozens of poorer countries who are import-dependent and need debt relief. WFP's Hussein. If you're a poor country, if you're highly indebted, if you happen to import your food, your fuel, or your fertilizer, you are in trouble. Amid the rise in food insecurity, the UN recently named its first famine prevention and response coordinator to lead its system-wide response. Margaret Bashir, VOA News, the United Nations. As we approach the end of year 2022, VOA wants to give you our loyal listeners, the opportunity to wish your loved ones a happy new year. Call us on our WhatsApp number 202-258-3076. Leave a brief message and listen for it right here on VOA. The number again is 202-258-3076. Three zero seven six. Let VOA help you bring cheers and blessings to friends and family by just calling 202-258-3076. Angola's Supreme Court has ordered the seizure of about $1 billion in assets held by Isabel Dos Santos, the daughter of the country's former president. According to Reuters News Service, authorities say they have evidence of alleged embezzlement and money laundering. A court document cited by Portugal's Lusa News Agency says among the seizures are all of Dos Santos' shares in the Angolan company Imbalvidoro and Intelligence.
telecom companies in Cape Verde and Sao Tome Principe. The document suggests 70% of her shares in telecom investments in Mozambique should all be seized. Isabel Dos Santos is the daughter of former President Jose Eduardo Dos Santos, who ruled nearly 40 years until he retired in 2017. Reuters notes that in 2019, Angola's Supreme Court ordered the seizure of her assets for allegedly steering funds to oil giant Sorangol in other companies in which she held stakes. She has denied the charges and says the courts are not independent and that the judges are used to fulfill a political agenda. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Please note, we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There, you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. Pope Francis today asked the public to pray for former Pope Benedict, who he said is very sick. Reuters says the Vatican has not offered details on the state of his health. The news service says in recent months, the 95-year-old Pope Emetris appeared frail and exceptionally weak, though his mind was still sharp. Benedict was the first German pope in 1,000 years when he was elected in 2005 following the passing of Pope John Paul II. During his papacy, he apologized for church scandals over allegations of abuse of children by the clergy and worked to support the victims. However, Reuters notes that a report in 2022 accused him of failing to stop for predatory priests while Archbishop of Munich in the 1980s. Benedict became the first pontiff to step down in six centuries when he resigned ten years ago for health reasons. Since then, he has been living in a former convent inside the Vatican with his secretary, aides, and medical staff. He continues to enjoy strong support from conservatives and traditionalists in the church. In its strongest challenge to the government of President Kai Saeed, Tunisia's powerful labor union says it will hold mass protests and occupy the streets soon to show its rejection of next year's austerity budget. The union, with more than a million members, has proven able to paralyze the economy with strikes. It has at times backed Saeed after he seized the most power last year, but on other, other occasions has, void, has voiced opposition. Mongi Daoudi, president of the Washington-based Tunisian United Network, explained to VOA's senior analyst Mohamed El-Shenawi what impact domestic popular, popular pressure could have on the Tunisian president. I think after the election that we saw on the December 17 and the low participation around 8.8% and then it was adjusted to 11.2, which is still very, very low. It's a historical low for Tunisia and the region. I think that's a clear message to President Saeed that the people of Tunisia are refusing this path. They're refusing his project. They are not happy with the way he's managing the economy, managing the government, and definitely 
they do want a new path forward. And I think that no show of participation is a clear message to Chai Saeed that I hope that he, it is time for him to resign. It is time for him to allow an open path for a new round of talks and dialogues among the political actors in Tunisia so we can reach to a new phase. Would the deteriorating economic situation in Tunisia force President Chai Saeed to step down? I think so. I think uh, we're going to see, um, after, especially a few couple days ago, he signed the new budget into law without any discussions, without any deliberations, and without definitely without a parliament, because we do not have the parliament that he, he shut down. And so this budget includes tremendous increase in taxes, in tariffs, and it does not respond to the aspirations of the Tunisian people with the inflation skyrocketing, with the lack of uh, some basic uh, goods in Tunisia right now, uh, like sugar and oil, cooking oil, and even some of the other necessities of life. Tunisian people are going through a very, very tough time. And we think is social unrest. If we do not come up with a solution within the next few weeks, not even months. We're going to saw uh, a lot of unrest and very uh, large protests in Tunisia that will definitely will bring Kaisaid down. That was Mongi Daoudi, president of the Washington-based Tunisian United Network. And in sports, in African men's football, one of the year's big highlights, we have uh, Samson um, Omali's post-match report from Yaoundé. After 52 matches, 30 days of competition, it all came down to the finals. There's a little bit of an advantage for the men in green. Senegal gets the African Cup of Nations final underway. Looking for Mane again now. This might be an opportunity. Is there a penalty? What's Victor Gomes say? Mane brought down. A much bigger penalty now. And it is Senegal who missed the opportunity in a wonderful save from opposition they faced nothing like that of Egypt yes Salah Salah with a shot and they with a save good running looking for the return pass chance in the middle for Giedro surely now no the goal the referee Victor Gomez 19 minutes of footballer the Cup of Nations final will continue with extra time In Dakar, Senegal, this was how the victory was celebrated the moment Mane scored the decisive penalty. Thereafter, spoke about the Afghan victory, his penalty miss, and his teammates' encouragement after he missed the earlier penalty in regulation time. 
It's not only the most important trophy, but it's the more important day of my life, the best day of my life. And of course, so far the best trophy of my life. And I can't express my, 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 my feeling today. I'm very happy. The big difference today is my teammate. After missing the penalty, everybody come to me in the dressing room. Sajo, we don't care what, what happened. We lose together, we win together. We, we push again, and we're going to make it. And the end of when I was going to shoot the second penalty, they all come to me. We trust you, go do it. I think that makes the difference. I think that was the strength today for Senegal. So it gave me more motivation to shoot and score, and I did it for all of the people. I think this trophy is the first ever trophy of the history of Senegal. So the people cry everything about it because they've been waiting so long. But still, this trophy myself, I think I give it to Alou Sisse. He deserves it. This man, for me, is something else. Another reaction we have on the victory of the Taranga Lions is coming from former Senegal great Kalio Fadiga, who says the patience of the coach Alou Sisse has yielded dividends and shows the indomitable spirit of his country. Absolutely disturbing because it's the first time that uh, Senegal win the, the African Cup and it's good for us because it's one from the 2002 and we are so proud because we are part of it. I think we, we saw it a couple, a, couple, a couple of times on the TV uh, that the boys were celebrating like we used to do in 2002. So, so proud to be here tonight, so proud to be Senegal and so proud to be on the top of we thank Samson Omali for the sports report, and that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Shogun Chang, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.